Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter, and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boendick people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. It really is an absolute privilege and an honour that you've chosen to listen to my podcast. My guest today is Lisa Sugarman. Lisa is a writer and a mum of two grown daughters from that very famous town of Salem, Massachusetts in the United States. Before having her children, Lisa was a newspaper, news and feature reporter, writing for magazines and papers in the US. Lisa spent 15 years working in local schools as a classroom teacher, a coach in administration and a one-on-one aide for children with special needs. It was after her children were a little older and she was working in the school system that Lisa got back into her writing writing about her own personal experiences in parenting, producing a column for her local paper, just for fun. In 2009, her column, It Is What It Is, became a nationally syndicated column throughout the US and then around the world. This led to the opportunity to write books, full of the content that helps and inspires families and in particular mothers, and based around how to embrace your perfect imperfectness. This led Lisa to host her radio show in Boston for many years. This episode contains discussion around mental health and suicide and the death of a parent. Lisa lost her dad Jim to suicide when she was 10 years old, but she didn't find out that he took his own life until about 35 years later when she was 45. Now because of that life-changing experience, Lisa is a passionate and vocal advocate for suicide awareness and prevention, and she's telling her story as a way of encouraging others to tell theirs. Lisa is also a proud ally and member of the LGBTQ community. She lives by the motto, it's okay that life is messy because we're all a work in progress. Today, amongst the usual topics I like to discuss, we end up talking a lot about social media and the role that it's played in creating helicopter parenting and the effect of its portrayals of unrealistic perfection on our guilt and our parenting expectations. The music you'll hear today is from my trio, Alemjo, which is made up of myself, Emma Anderson, my sister, and her husband, John. We play new age and ambient music. If you're triggered by anything we discussed today, please reach out for help, either to those around you or by seeking assistance online. I've compiled a great collection of international resources if you're looking for a place to start. You can head to the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today, Lisa. It's a real pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're in America. Whereabouts are you? So we live about 15 miles north of Boston on the east coast of the country. 
and we're we're in this cute little um, semi-famous city of Salem that <laughs> I think wherever you might be in the world, you can recognize that name because it's got uh, a lot of history attached to it. So we just we just moved actually from my hometown about a mile down the road, a little a little seacoast town in the birthplace of the American Navy. Uh, we just oh. moved out um, maybe nine months ago. We just our girls are grown women now and we didn't need a, a, a house in in any particular neighborhood anymore and we just kind of took advantage of the crazy real estate market and sold and yeah. um, moved down the road so we're in Salem oh very good so you're getting yourself set up in that special little town is it how many people live there is it very big Salem in Salem um yeah I mean I I wouldn't say that at this point I know the exact population but um it's a pretty densely populated city and it's it's fairly large so um there are definitely definitely a lot of people i we we live um in an area of salem that's kind of not in the hustle we're a little bit removed from where people who are are tourists would typically come to see everything involving the witch trials and you know um you know all of that history you would go maybe two or three miles away from where we are but it's a pretty it's a pretty densely populated little city yeah right yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much everyone that's listening would probably recognize the name and the yeah. connections and the history. Yeah. I remember reading um, The Crucible in year 11 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something like we, we obviously have our own sort of histories here, but we've got we've got nothing sort of along those lines. So it's really fascinating to sort of and I don't know how much of it is really true either. Like, is there a bit of sort of folklore that goes along with it? Yeah, there's there's um, there's some lore uh, attached to it for sure, and it's it's definitely I'm sure been embellished over the years. But I think you know so much of it, believe it or not, is is actually very true, and it's been very well documented. And yeah, right. uh, I mean, we haven't taken the tours since I was in grade school, and we would you know we would always there would always be like a little junket to Salem to. Um, you know, kind of take advantage of all that history that's there. So, I, I mean, I, I know that you know there is there's a lot of truth, kind of mm. woven into all of those legends as well. So it's um, it's a it's a pretty deeply um, historical spot with so much significance, and mm. uh, it's neat, especially around October. Um, well, it depends on your perspective. If you're from here. You want to be as far away from here as possible. If you're not yeah. from here, like the entire world seems to just converge on Salem for the month of October. So everybody that that I know knows to stay far away because it's a little chaotic. Yeah, but it's also it's also kind of cool that everyone yeah. loves. Oh, it would be. It'd be really interesting um, living in a place like that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Lisa, what you do, what you've done. I guess you can expand for as long or as short as you wish. So the floor is yours. If you want oh, to share yeah, with I, us. Yeah. I appreciate that. So um, first and foremost, I mean, I'm, I'm a mom. I have two very grown daughters. My uh, youngest just turned 22 and our oldest is turning 25 
in another few weeks. So um, I've been at it for a while, a little motherhood game. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was a, a teacher in our local school system for many, many years, um, probably close to 15 years, and wore a lot of different hats in, in kind of in that role, was a classroom teacher, was a coach, worked in administration, was uh, a one-on-one aide supporting just individual children with special needs over the years. So I had a really, really big, open, wide lens to really kind of view the, the parent-child relationship, that, that whole dynamic, um, the way the whole family system works, the way kids are, are educated and supported. So it's, um, that's kind of what tracked me over toward um, what I've been doing most recently in the last decade or so. Um, I mean, I've always been a writer. So before I had children, I, I was a newspaper reporter for many, many years and wrote for magazines here in the U.S. And yeah. um, this is way pre, pre-internet and, and that, that whole explosion. Mm-hmm. And then um, we kind of took a break or I took a break from that and stayed home and raised our daughters. And then it's just so funny how, how things happen so unexpectedly. Like you're, you're tracking in one direction and then you get an opportunity and it kind of puts you in a, on a totally different path. And that's what happened to me. I was working in the school systems and just for fun, I started writing again. I had never written a column in my life. I was always a, a news and feature reporter. And um, I just for fun started contributing to my local paper because I had had some pretty deep connections there when I was in college. And they're always asking, you know, these, these little hometown newspapers are always desperate for people to, um, you know, to give them content. So I just started writing about what I was living at the time and what I was living was parenthood. So I started writing and little by little, it just started catching on and people started responding really well to it. And it just birthed this whole um, brand new career. Um, so the, the column was syndicated. It's called It Is What It Is. And it was just syndicated throughout um, this media organization. It was all over the country. And then it, it kind of, you know, by virtue of the internet, it goes all over the world. So um, that happened for many, oh God, like 12 years, 11 or 12 years, I was writing the column. I still do. And, um, from time to time, less so because I started focusing on books and mm-hmm. that led me to the opportunity to write books. And, um, I've written a few of them, um, parenting focused all about kind of how to embrace your perfectly imperfectness is really the easiest way to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, let the mistakes happen, embrace them and, um, and really kind of find the good nuggets that are, are within that. And then that kind of led me to the radio and I ended up um, on the radio for a couple of years here in Boston. And so it's just, it's just been this, um, this really cool little flow of opportunities that have all kind of centered around creating content that um, helps support and inspire families and, and in particular moms. So that's, mm. that's kind of the, the long answer to the, <laughs> to the how how did I get to this point and what kind of stuff do I do so um yeah I I still very much um enjoy writing parenting content although um I've kind of shifted my focus a little bit and I'm I'm doing a lot of mental health advocacy and suicide awareness and prevention and um doing a lot of speaking and um and writing about that as well so that that's Mm -hmm. that's all kind of interrelated because it, it really um it impacts our kids an awful lot and, um, you know, it's important to start and have those conversations. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm doing now. Yeah, right. So with your books, um, do you sort of draw on your own personal, like things that have happened to you, um, things that you've learned or 
I don't know, wish you'd known that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's exactly where it comes from. That's mm-hmm. that's where everything, just about everything that that I've done has come from. It's all anecdotally based. So mm-hmm. it's really just either, you know, stories um, and experiences from my, my own childhood or from, you know, the experience of raising my own children um, and, and all of that experience being in the school system, both in the classroom and, um, you know, kind of in the administration role and, and working with parents and kids so closely. And I just started seeing, I, you know, I started seeing such a pattern with parents and with children and um, parents were just getting so overwhelmed by this, this invisible need to be the perfect parent, to have the perfect kid, to make sure that they didn't make any mistakes, to make sure that their kids never fell on their face, to make sure that, um, you know, there was no struggle. And in doing that, and it was all based from a place of love and caring for their children, but they were absolutely crushing their kids with these crazy expectations of how they should behave and what they should accomplish and um, how, I guess, how, um, how, just how perfect they should be. And, and it was, mm-hmm. it was really debilitating and you could see the kids being affected by that in such negative ways. Um, kids, kids couldn't, couldn't build resilience because they couldn't do things for themselves. They weren't allowed to do things for themselves. So I just started voicing my opinion, I guess is what you could say about how counterproductive I thought that was. And that Mm -hmm. we really need to let our kids figure it out by failing, by trying one way doesn't work. You go another way. And, and it, and it, and it just really stirred up, um, you know, a, a lot in me in terms of wanting to help parents understand that they, they don't have to be perfect. You can, you can give yourself permission to drop the balls Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to kind of embrace that madness because parent, parenthood, like if you can't laugh at parenthood, then (laughs) you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong job, you know? Yeah. That's it, isn't it? got just after you've said that i've got that many things i want to ask you i've got so many questions i could take you in lots of different directions so i'm gonna let's go let's go (laughs) i'm gonna go with so talking i mean the the phrase that sort of comes to mind when you're talking about that that method of parenting like that helicopter parenting where you've always got to be over the top of your kids making sure things go right like you said they don't they don't get that chance to build their resilience because they don't get the opportunity to fail and experience that sort of emotions and that sort of stuff um I wonder because often we talk about um different generations and how they were parented and the the sort of norms that were around then when do you think things started to really change and become this different way of parenting because I remember as a kid you know being allowed to go out for most of the day ride my bike around the neighborhood do all this sort of stuff and now it's like, oh, no, you can't do that. Something will happen to you. Like, ha- when did that start to change, do you think? And, and w- what might have brought about that change? You know, it's funny that you should say that because 
I talk about that with my daughters. What we, you and I have had similar experiences. Um, the, the town that I grew up in, this little coastal harbor town just north of Boston, a mile from where I am right now, is just this little peninsula town surrounded by a harbor, four square miles. We would get on our bikes. There were train tracks, paths all around town where you could get to and from one end and the other. And that's all we did. We would be outside until Billy Fallon's mom rang the bell or blew the slide whistle and like the whole neighborhood <laughs> would scatter and go home because they knew it was time to go home. But we'd be out from like the second the sun came up and we'd be on the path and we'd be downtown, we'd be in the harbor. And and my my kids, my kids were bike riders, not to that same degree. But they were the kids playing Manhunt. I don't know if Manhunt is a game that that you know. It's it's tag. It's just hide and seek. Yeah. yeah. Like all throughout the neighborhood and in the trees and in the fields and whatnot. So it still existed when my kids were young. But I feel like I can't say that there was a, a catalyst. Like I don't necessarily know that I can say okay that at that exact time because of that exact event everything shifted. But I do think it was somewhere in between our generation and my children's generation mm-hmm. where you know i i think um i think me, the social media influence has just brought so much fear it's it's done so much good but it's also done so much damage and i i mm-hmm. think that with that constant connection and that constant flood of information and news and and trauma. We're all living through trauma. I mean, look no mm-hmm. further than, I don't know if the news has arrived yet of what happened yes. in Texas. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. and I'm really, my heart breaks for you guys over there. It's just shocking. Yeah. It really it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, as, as someone who, who taught for so many years and as the mom of two daughters, both of whom are teachers currently, yeah. it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I have so many teacher friends and, just a mom and anyone um, who, of course, especially uh, as a parent, can just hear that that situation about those those poor children and those teachers who mm-hmm. were killed, and it's just it's devastating. And it's like, but we the reason why I'm bringing that up is because the second that happened, the world knew about it. Yeah. It was yeah. everywhere. It was on. It was buzzing on every phone and every tablet on the planet, and so everyone is sharing in that trauma. Everyone is experiencing that fear. Everyone is um, making plans because of it to protect their children. What else can I layer around my child? How else, how, how better can I bubble wrap my child and my family and my world? And so we've got those influences in ways that we never had them before. So on the one hand, having something like social media or a phone or the ability to connect with your kids when they're off in the world is great because it's kind of like that umbilical cord is still partially connected mm-hmm. and that's a comforting feeling but i think we've leaned too heavily into that to the point where everything is about instant gratification now why is my kid not texting me back what happened to them did they get hit by a car did they get abducted did they i mean like yeah, so yeah. i i think that um you know, there's a there's a good side and a bad side to this whole social media phenomenon. But I think that that right there, if I was going to point to one thing that has really done more damage, it's that. Mm. Because 
now everyone's hearing from every possible angle in the world what could happen to your kid if you let them out the door yeah you know and and so I think because of that we've just um maybe our generation my generation I guess has just clamped down an awful lot harder um Mm. out of fear yeah yeah it's very fear driven isn't it it's that need to keep people safe or stop stop the bad thing happening or stop them from feeling upset or bad or you know emotions that we see as negative or that kind of thing yeah yeah it's interesting because I I don't want to talk about bad stuff but as an example there was years and years ago in Australia there was um, some children abducted they were called the Beaumont children and for years and years and years that was like the only I guess um, episode of that nature that we all knew about this was back in the 60s I think and so you know that that thing you're saying about we're we're all connected now any everything and anything that happens we all hear about it so there probably was other stuff going on but we just didn't know about it yeah Yeah. so once we know about it we all go oh no and Yeah. yeah go into that fear reaction Um, I'm glad you brought up social media because that was something I was going to ask you about this notion of perfection, the the way that now, because we see this curated version of people's lives, we, not everybody, but a lot of people want to present the very best of themselves on social media, you know, which is fair enough, I suppose you want to, you want to look good or whatever, but sure, that sure. unrealistic to the point where you know, it's really not reflective of people's lives. And so it's giving off this false sense of perfection. So then everyone else that's consuming that information starts to think, oh, no, I must be doing something wrong. My life doesn't look like that. Mm. Um, yeah. Is that something that you sort of, you, you agree with that? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Um, not only do I agree with it, but I talk about it often. I write about it even more often. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you use the word curate because when I do talk about it, that is always my go-to word mm-hmm. because that is exactly what's happening. Um, people, people are filtering or curating the best of the best of the best. And, and in, in most cases, and I mean, you know, there, I think there's now, I'm happy to see now that there seems to be a little bit of a shift where people are like, no, that's bullshit. Why am I doing that? Why am I, why, why are we only putting this facade out there? It's this veneer of what's, you know, of what we think people want to see or what we want to project. And I think people are getting tired of it quickly Mm. because it's sending such a, you know, such a damaging message and it's creating you know, we, we fall as parents into such a comparison trap. And I write about this. Um, my co-author and I write a lot about this in our most recent book. We have an entire chapter devoted to not, you know, not falling into this comparison trap. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest, the biggest suck into that trap is what we're seeing on social media. And we really can't avoid it. I mean, do you know, do you honestly, Allison, know a human being at this stage of life that does not have some 
kind of a device. I mean, unless it's like a newborn. <laughs> and even I think the newborns, there must be like a newborn tablet or something, right? And then they give you this push on. So, I mean, it's like, granted, you know, people use things to different degrees and not everybody who has social, you know, social media is on Instagram and not everyone is part of Facebook or not every, but the majority are. And, you know, when you're in that world, it's impossible to avoid seeing what's being put out there. And when you, you look at that and you start comparing yourself to that, it's, I don't want to use the word traumatizing because I think that that might be a little bit of a a strong word to use, but it's, it definitely leaves a mark on you. Mm-hmm. If you're like, well, wait a minute, like how come that mom of 12 children is so beautifully, like she's perfect looking and dressed to, you know, dressed like to the, um, to the nines. And she's, you know, she's, she's driving her SUV and she's got her coffee in her hand and all of her children have braids they're all wearing dresses she's all made up like like come on like that's yeah. just crap like people like you know I know so many moms who are like I couldn't even like find a robe to put on myself to get my kid to like <laughs> conceal my my pajamas to drive my kid to school yeah you know yeah. um you know like throwing kids into into the school like throw an apple and a handful <laughs> of Cheerios at your kid and then dump them in the car and so it's like yeah. we need we need that reality check and we, we need to stop comparing ourselves because it's just so toxic and it's so unfortunate because it really, I think, weighs heavily on people. Mm-hmm. Even though our rational brains, most of us are like, okay, come on, this is dumb. Why am I trying to compare myself to that person? My situation is different. There's this different, but it's like human nature. Oh, you know, yeah. We avoid it. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're not, when you're, you, you know, you're scrolling through your Instagram or your Facebook feed, you're not in you know, switched on rational mode, you're in relaxed looking at stuff mode. So you do, you use, that's your first reaction is to go to that. Oh, how come I can't do that? Or how come she can do that? Or, you know, and then, yeah, you might think about it later and go, oh, this is the list of reasons why perhaps, you know, but yeah, we, we all, we go to it. mentioned that you're interested in mental health issues do you Mm. find that that a lot of issues with around people's mental mental health comes from this kind of um bombardment of social media and the comparisons and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I do um I absolutely do and you know again I'm the mom of two children and I I think back to that time which was not long ago it was in my children's lives when they didn't have this influence. They didn't have this gateway into a, a world of um, other kids their age doing doing all these things. And, um, you know, they, they didn't have the ability to see the, the birthday party or the bar mitzvah or the event that they weren't invited to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As yeah. they can now. And, and, you know, they couldn't get harassed 
in this way. It was like back in the day when you went to school and you got bullied on the playground, which was bad enough. Now it's like there's nowhere in the world you can't get bullied because you've yeah. got, um, you know, this vehicle that allows that to happen right in your hand all the time. So I think, again, it's like, you know, I keep using social media and technology as kind of the, the the catch-all for why so many things have escalated but it's in all fairness like it is it exists and and um impacting kids mental health is definitely what our mental health too forget about just kids but it's just as bad you know for us to see the you know the the girls trip that a whole bunch of the moms you know went on and you didn't go or the big garden party that someone had or you know the day on the boat that you weren't invited to it's you know it's it's impossible to ignore and I think that it depends on who you are and it depends on um how seriously you take that being bombarded with that all the time but I mean look at the suicide rates in young children right now mm -hmm. in adolescent and and teenage children and it's startling and it's going up and you know every other day you turn on the news and you hear about a child who was cyberbullied and they jumped off a bridge and you hear about a child you know who was shamed you know who who was shamed because of their size or you know so, something you know there's some it's it, there there's bigotry there's like every negative thing in the world can flow through your phone just as easily as every positive thing and our kids are right there on the other side of it so um i think it's it's absolutely had uh, a really negative impact and it's it's sad it's sad and I don't know you know aside from putting things like parental controls in place and really just understanding what your kids are looking at when your younger kids are a part of that even even as they navigate it and start to be part of it and grow into it like we've got to we've got to really be super focused on what they're focused on mm -hmm. um, it's too easy to let a lot of the negativity slide under our radar and yeah. still reach them and I think it's hard for some parents too because because we didn't grow up in this world of what's happening yeah. to be actually um actually aware of what is happening because I mean a lot of teenagers aren't you know super forthcoming with what's going on in their lives or what they're consuming on their phones um so yeah to sort of I don't know yeah I don't want to say educate yourselves because that sounds really patronizing but you know being aware, talking to other parents and sort of finding out what sort of stuff your child could be into or being exposed to. Um, yeah. So you actually can help them out and, and put some boundaries in place perhaps to sort of limit what they're, what they're exposed to. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to say, to say that. I don't think it's patronizing to say that at all. I think it's yeah. necessary to say that and even more necessary to act on that because we're that line of defense. It is our job when they aren't rational enough as young people and they're developing and, and you know those connections are all being made in their brains. Um, it's up to us to create those boundaries mm -hmm. and to keep talking the same talk. And I don't wanna say it's rhetoric because it's not rhetoric, it's, it's important, but it's, one of those things as parents especially of young kids that we have to just keep saying over and over again until you want to throw up and until mm. your kids want to throw up because they're so sick of hearing it but we keep saying it anyway yeah
I want to turn to still looking at social media as a little bit, um, but the something I really love to talk about guests uh, talk about with guests on my show is um, mum guilt and or mummy guilt or mom guilt, whatever you, the yeah, term yeah. you want to call it. Um, what are your thoughts about that whole topic? Oh, wow. I have a lot of thoughts about mom guilt. I, I also at times have had plenty of mom guilt. Um, it, it is a toxic emotion because it keeps us from doing the things that I think we need to do and instead causes us to do things that we think we're supposed to do like keep our young children busy from the second that they open their eyes in the morning until the second they go to bed at night. And we are so afraid of and so consumed by guilt if we don't have, you know, a four course dinner on the table every night, if we don't have the house clean, if we don't have activities planned, if we don't have social events, like all, all these things. And that, and this, this ties in all of this mom guilt ties very heavily into the whole comparison issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we're all looking at everything that everybody around us is doing. And I'm not just talking about on social media. I'm talking about just like in general, we're looking at what everybody is doing around us and we're feeling such intense feelings of guilt because we're not doing what that family's doing or what that mom is doing and um you know and and we're feeling guilty about things that we shouldn't feel guilty about like if you love your child and you're dedicated to supporting your child and inspiring and encouraging your child and you know and you're you're not going to let your child go hungry like it's okay if they have a bowl of cereal for dinner it's okay if the laundry's not done it's okay if you didn't get dressed today it's okay like Mm -hmm. That's the stuff we have to start emphasizing more than the whole idea of checking off every single box or else our day sucks and we accomplish nothing and we're guilt-ridden because we didn't accomplish all the things that we feel like we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge issue. And, and again, it, it also is another issue similarly in the way that Um, more and more people are starting to show their real selves on social media, which I love Mm. and saying, I'm actually not okay. I'm actually a disaster and I'm this and I'm that. And that's owning it and being honest in the same way. I think moms are, are starting to recognize that this whole guilt thing is complete bullshit that they Mm. shouldn't buy into because um, it's just going to chip away at your soul and your confidence and your self-esteem because if you don't, and this goes back to perfection. If you don't, if you don't do everything the way you think you're supposed to do it, mm-hmm. now you're riddled with guilt, and now you're incapacitated. So it does no one anyway. Yeah, it's it just serves no purpose to anybody, does it? It's yeah. such a it's a horrible thing. I hate it. I just think it's a load of crap. It is. It, it just makes me so cross. Yeah. And it's um, it, yeah. And I, and I, and I just want to hug all the moms all at one time. Yeah. Every yeah. mom is like, let go. Yes. Yeah. 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 I had, um, I had some ladies on, I had like a four, four mums on at one time for a Mother's Day special a few weeks ago. And they, one of the ladies had written a letter to mum guilt 
and it was like, Mom, you're a bitch. <laughs> I love it. I need to read that. It was really good. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, as well as like not like, like admitting that we're not going great, admitting that, you know, I don't want to say a failure, I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but it, it actually is normal to not be doing everything as well as you had hoped, like these expectations that we feel like we've got to do it this way, you know, for whatever reason, because we're being judged or because someone told us we should do that this way or for whatever reason, um, you know, and to say, I actually, I don't buy into that stuff. You know, it's a really, it's a really powerful thing to say and then to share with other mums and they might go, oh, actually I was feeling a bit like that, but I didn't know whether I should feel like that, you know, <laughs> doubting yourself. Um, yeah. And creating this whole movement of this, you know, giving the middle finger to mum killed. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love that. And I appreciate and support that so much because I think that so much of what motivates us to, 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 to reach a place of guilt or to compare ourselves to other people in the first place comes from a, a directly from our ego mm. because yeah we're doing this thing that so many millions of people before us have done and so many people alongside us are doing and there's this internal voice that says like well of course like I can totally do it like they do it like I should be able to do that right I should be able to have six kids and also run a business and also have a like a, a better homes and gardens house and look amazing and be a size two and you know it goes on and on and on yeah. but um and I think that when we can't or don't do the things that you know we feel are the things that should be done you know that's that's when it chips away at us and mm. and it kind of breaks us it breaks our spirit because then it's like well how come they can do it I can't show that I'm failing at it yeah that's it isn't it we've we've got to hold up that again, that perfection that everything's fine, this facade of, yeah. you know, I think, yeah, I really think people are getting more comfortable with that feeling of saying that that they, you know, not projecting the, the perfect world. I think, I think we are getting better slowly, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I think so too. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I've been begging people to talk about now for well, well over a decade. Um, yeah. You know, I, I moderate a group on Facebook that I that I started. Now it's been years. It's been several years ago, and um, it's on Facebook. It's a public group, and it's called the Vomit Booth. Right. And it's just a place that marries kind of everything that I do, mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, you know writing and speaking and and kind of philosophies of parenthood, the humanistic common sense views of parenthood. And I brought it to this place where it could have an interactive component and people could actually come into this group and talk about the good stuff and the bad stuff and, and bond together and share together. And the idea of it being a place where you could kind of like hurl up, vomit up, whatever it is yeah. that's, that's troubling you or holding you back and that people, someone's there to hold your hair back. Yeah, while you let yeah. it out and you can listen and vent and um and some incredible conversations over the past several years have come out because it's a place that I really encourage people to like 
if you're not okay, if you're struggling with X, Y, or Z, if you feel inadequate, like let it out, share it, start that conversation because I guarantee you that there are 10 million other people feeling the same way, but nobody wants to, it's like, nobody wants to be the first one to talk in the elevator, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, just, yeah. but once somebody does, everybody starts talking. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's what we have to do. Yeah. That, that reminds me that analogy of um, the first one to talk when I, in Australia, we have this thing called mum's groups where after you have your baby, they, they put you with complete strangers. They're just people that happen to have their child at the same time as you. Um, so you, you put in with these people that you have nothing else in common with apart from your baby came out at the same time. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's the common denominator. Oh, and um, I remember one of the first sessions we went to and I was, you know, things were not going well. And everyone goes around the circle and says how they're going and everyone seemed to be going really well. And I was sitting there thinking, why is everyone going so good? What is wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with my baby? Why am I struggling? And then when it was my turn, I, th I think I said something. I tried to make a joke like, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're all going so great because I'm not. And then just right. my life sucks right now. Yeah, shared all the crap things about the no sleep and the sore boobs and we couldn't breastfeed. And when I broke the ice with that, that's when everyone started to be more honest. And it was like, oh, thank God. Like we can be honest now, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's just, yeah, we well, just... That's what it takes. And then, then, then everybody comes out of the woodwork and then mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh, but wait, but me, but this, but that. And oh, then yeah. all of a sudden. We're, we're um, outdoing each other with worse stories. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, not, not to take the focus off of parenting, which is what I know we're, we're spending so much time talking about um, to circle it back for a second to mental health. Mm -hmm. That is exactly and this applies to children and parents, obviously, it, it applies to, to mental health in the sense that once we start vocalizing our not being okay, or our struggle, or our fear, or whatever it is, once we put it out there, there is almost always going to be someone who will then connect with that, and then will have some kind of a similar experience, or know someone, or or understand on a deeper level and then it, it just it's like self-perpetuating then all of a sudden that dialogue starts and and it's it, that's why it's so important what whatever space you're in in the world whether it's the mental health space or the parenting space or the marriage space it's that communication mm. that can change everything yeah. that can elevate you from a place of silently suffering or or feeling shame or being stuck to it elevates you to a place where okay I'm not alone anymore and other people know what I feel like and other people may have done some things can suggest some things that will that will be useful to me and that's why there's there's so much incredible power in our shared experiences mm. but they do no one any good if we don't share them yeah Yeah, that mental health is an interesting one. I think people are really afraid to share that. It's like the way I sort of compare it, like if you've got a broken leg, you're not going to be scared to go to the doctor 
to say, mm-hmm. hey, could you fix my leg? But for some reason, we're, we're so worried about being judged by, I don't know, it's, it seems like we've, we've failed somehow, but we're not actually in control of the, you know, the chemical imbalances in our brains. But, but we've sort of learned, I guess, from previous generations that that's something you don't talk about. And, you know, I, I had an experience where um, I had quite bad postnatal depression with both my children. And um, I shared, I did a podcast years ago with a, a mental health group in my town. And then that then snowballed into, um, it was like a, a group of community people that were known in the community, um, members that, that would be identified sort of through whether they were like as me as a singer there was like um people that owned shops like just faces that you'd know in the community and we ended up with these great big banners they put us on these banners and put us all around town with the little like qr code scan this and and listen to the podcast and my dad said to me oh are you sure you want everyone to know what happened to you i said yes dad i do this is exactly why i'm doing it because i want people to know that it is normal it's nothing to be ashamed of it's like normalizing this discussion around mental wellness or mental unwellness and I don't know it's like yeah that that generation that's like oh don't don't talk about that sort of stuff you know I don't know (laughs) well we we had no you're right a thousand percent right and I love the fact that you did that because that is what we should all be doing and I know it's a lot harder for some than others there are a lot of people out there who are you know very introverted and very uncomfortable sharing but the fact of the matter is that there has always been such a deep, dark stigma associated with mental illness. I mean, I, I think back to, you know, another generation before me, to my parents' generation. Now, I, I lost my father to suicide mm-hmm. when I was 10 years old. Thank you. And, and um, I didn't find out about his suicide until I was in my mid-40s. So oh. 35 years later, I found out about it. Um, not at all because my mother felt like it it was shameful. It had nothing to do with it whatsoever. My mother was just strictly trying to protect me. I had already lost my person to have Mm -hmm. told me at that time when I was 10 years old, that it was his decision would have shattered me beyond repair. So in that sense, I'm so grateful that she did that, but it it had nothing to do with a stigma, but still at that time and for so many decades even later until just really in recent history it it isn't wasn't something you talked about it was something that that automatically by default gave you kind of a black mark Mm. and made you feel less than or made you appear less than even if it didn't it did in your own head because of the 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 narrative that was associated with it Mm. and Um, you know, and it's, it's like the same reason why um, parents were so reluctant to say that their children had learning disabilities or that their children had mental health issues. And same thing, they didn't, they didn't want that stigma to be attached. But it, and it's only in doing what you did or what I've begun to do, which is to talk in every space I possibly can about my father's story mm-hmm. to help encourage other people to share their story or their trauma or their grief or their um their illness because that's how we change that's how we normalize it and that's how we change that narrative Mm. you know I I think of it in in so many different ways when I think of what happened to my father and how it's impacted me and my life you know there's the loss that I felt as a 10 year old then there's the loss that I felt so I've grieved his death now twice in my life 
mm-hmm. you know, once as a child and once as a grown married mother of two children. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about the power that's within that story, both as a child and a survivor of suicide loss and someone who has had to kind of travel that arc of forgiveness. And I also think about it in terms of like, when I really found out the truth, my girls were teenagers. I had one just entering high school. I had one who was graduating from high school. And, you know, my, my oldest um, has, has had mental health issues and, and has had anxiety and some depression and is very open about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, getting help for it has changed her life. It's changed, you know, because as you said a little while ago, these are things, it's like, if you were born, if you were born with six fingers on your hand, you would be someone who was born with six fingers on your hand and that was beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And in that same exact way, like someone's born with a heart condition or someone, God forbid, has cancer. It's, it is no different. The mental health challenges, issues, diagnoses, whatever you want to call them that we have as human beings, like that is, that is beyond our control mm-hmm. and yep. they need to be treated in the same way that you would treat someone with heart disease or cancer or whatnot, or a broken leg. Yep. So you know, my, my, um, my goal at that time, once I kind of arrived at a place of really truly understanding why my father, I don't know the reason why. I, I will never know the reason why. And that haunted me for a long time. It doesn't anymore. I just know that my father had so much mental illness that was undetected by anybody in our family, mm-hmm. but he, it was not being here anymore, whether it was for our benefit or his was the only solution. Mm-hmm. And so I've come to accept that, but I've also accepted the fact that my father had so much genetic, like the genetic cocktail in my poor dad's body from mm-hmm. where he grew up and how he grew up and, and the mental illness that existed in his family. Like that's in my, that's in me, that's in mm-hmm. my children. Yeah. Yeah. And what really inspired me, I think, to start talking in general about it to my children in particular was like, you guys may not feel this way or that way now, or have these feelings or or emotions or thoughts now, maybe when you're 22, maybe when you're 26, maybe when you're 30, maybe, you know, these, these things don't always surface immediately. And I wanted them to know, like, look, this is, here's your DNA. Here's, Mm -hmm. here's what could be in your DNA. And here's what it might look like in you, because here's what it looked like in him. I have certain tendencies or issues. Um, I'm an empath. I, I feel everything as though I'm grabbing onto like an electrified wire, all the good and the bad in my life house. And I feel it like I'm holding a live wire. Mm-hmm. And I know that's how it manifested in me. But I wanted to have that conversation with my kids so that they would know and be able to have an open line of communication. Like I'm okay. I'm feeling weird. I'm, I need to talk to someone. I need yeah. help. I need this. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. It's, um, of course. it's, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's really great that, that you're able to share it. Um, Cause like you said, there's so many people that can't for whatever reason. And I, that's sort of a reason why I feel like I sort of want to help those people in my own way by sharing my story, because maybe they can't, but that, like you said before, you know, they might take something from it. They might go, oh, I can empathize with that. I, I experience that or I understand what you mean by that. And that might give them the little nudge to to reach out and, and do what they need to do. Right. Um, yeah. 
You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. Identity is another thing that I really love talking about. This, you know, that we're a, we're a woman, we're having this amazing life, we're doing all these things, and then we become a mother, and then it seems that our sole purpose is then to, you know, be a mother, um, mm-hmm. that we might lose other components of ourselves that we had pre-children or, or all <laughs> yeah yeah or, or and and yeah I've spoken to a lot of people through this podcast and there's so many varying degrees of experience with that which is wonderful because you know we're all different and that that's great to share um have you got some thoughts about that that topic yeah yeah I do I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> a lot of thoughts a lot of experience with it um yeah I mean I was definitely lost for a period of time, for sure, in my life. Um, probably around the time that I chose to stay home, my husband and I agreed, you know, that 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 I would stay home. Um, he was, you know, the primary breadwinner at the time, and and it made sense just economically that that I would be the one. And I was in that place that you talked about, like that incredible place of oh I know exactly what my purpose is my purpose is those two little humans and and teaching them and growing them and nurturing them and loving them and and doing everything for them and you get lost in that place and and I'm not saying that that's not a beautiful place and you have children and obviously you have children to be devoted to those children and raise them and whatnot but Mm -hmm. as I think we've all realized over the past, I would say probably five years or so, 10 years or so, maybe just even five, self-care is something, self-care and preserving or creating our own identity simultaneously is so necessary. It is imperative that we do that. And so many of us just kind of pack up our former identity and just put it in a little box and put it in the back of the closet and that's where it stays. And we are so, you know, laser focused on our kids, but then all of a sudden, and it happens all of a sudden, you know, it, you know, it, it is gradual, but then it's not because all of a sudden you're at that point where you're like, well, they don't need me at all <laughs> for almost anything except maybe some cash from time to time, you know, <laughs> and laundry and food. So, and then all of a sudden you're like, what the hell am I, what am I supposed to do now? Like, where do I go? What do I do? And, um, and it's really hard. And I was definitely in that space. And what really did help me was kind of this organic tripping and falling into this life within the school system that I had. And, and that became a path that felt right to me for so many years and for so many reasons, Um, you know, and, and then um, I had a chance to, you know, write books for a living and, and do what I'm doing now and, and, it, and it evolved, but it was only because I basically like pulled on my big girl pants and said, I, I, I have to have something that is for me. I have to figure out what that is and who that is and, um, it, you know, and, and honor what I need for my life because I've just spent the last, you know, 20 something years giving my children what they needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more attention that I started paying on myself uh, and and the more I did for the benefit of my own growth and the more I prioritized that, the healthier I was everywhere else in my life, like Mm -hmm. bottom line. And it was work. 
it, it was work and it, it continues to be work, but it's such powerful and necessary work. Mm. You know, absolutely. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I I could not exist without things for myself. Honestly, I'd just go, I'd go more mental than I am now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. I, I get it. Have to have it. It's just, yep. oh, I don't know. It's so, it is so necessary. And, you know, it's interesting, like, like I was saying before, like, I I couldn't, I couldn't be a stay-at-home mum. Like, I just, and I have so much respect for, for mums that do that because I just couldn't do it, um, you know, and we're all different in, in what we need and, and that kind of stuff. I just, yeah, I don't know. But I'm I love that. I'm now. <laughs> no, I, first of all, there's nothing I love better than a good blab. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's where all the best ideas and, um, you know, and uh, experiences come from are, are blabbing. But like, I just have such respect for, 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 for all the different varieties of parenting that there are out mm -hmm. there. Like you've got the stay-at-home mom or you've got the mom that does the hybrid or you've got the mom that goes into the office every day or, you know, and, and everything in between. And, you know, there's, there's just so much credit, I think, to be given for people who understand, like, this is where I'm really good. This is where I'm really great. And this is where I need to make sure that a lot of my attention is focused and, but it's also over here too. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just, it, it, we're constantly building on ourselves and, and, mm. and, the, and I, I love that there's so much inspiration for doing it in so many different ways. And there isn't one way that's, that's better or more accomplished than any other way. They're just great examples. And that just inspires me when mm. I see that. Yeah. And um, it kind of, Oh, I'm, it's, this, I'm going off on a tangent now, but it kind of oh, makes oh. me, um, it makes me sad for, I don't know if sad's the word, but it does, yeah, it does. It makes me sad for, for previous generations of women whose role it was exclusively to be a mother, you know, like there wasn't a choice. It was like when you got pregnant, you left work because you had to give the jobs to the, the single women. No, when they got married, they had to quit the jobs, um, yeah. you know, just all the things that women would have wanted to do, uh, you know, and if they did do it, they were judged so harshly for, you know, doing the wrong thing. I'm putting that in air quotes again. Yeah. You know, just the, the opportunities that we have now because of the work that previous generations have done to get us to this point is tremendous because I just think if I had have lived in that era of my grandmother, yeah, I would have been stuffed. Oh, I would, no, I, you and I would have, gone on an island somewhere and <laughs> like another community where we could do anything we wanted because I it's funny I often think about that my daughter my oldest and I seem to fall into this conversation all the time about different periods of time where we felt she she would have preferred living during like caveman era for some she's got lots of it's very funny lots of reasons why but that I don't need to go into but that was like her period of time and I you know, I would have loved to have lived, I think, during the 60s. I mean, I, I was a child of the 60s, but I was yeah. an infant. I would have liked to have had that experience because it was such an explosive period of time in the world. But I also think that um, I don't think I could have survived it, just like you. Like, yeah. I not like 
I would have known if I was the person I am today that back then I would have been like, oh, hell no. Like I'm going to work. No, like equal salary, equal opportunity. I'm going to work from home. My husband's going to raise the kid, you know, and I, I I think I made it would have made a lot of enemies (laughs) back then because I just wouldn't have tolerated it. Mm. But um, yeah, we owe a huge debt of gratitude. Mm. to those you know those pioneers who came before us for sure absolutely stuff without them oh yeah see even like when I watch I really love period dramas um I can't even think like the Jane Eyre's and all that kind of stuff yeah and you just think those those girls there oh in um what's that one that's on now Bridgerton you know you get a taste for it there's one of the daughters who just you know wants to do her own thing doesn't want to get married you know you just think how much of that would have gone on but no one would have had a choice it's just you had to do this you had to marry this bloke for money because it kept your family going you know all the sacrifices that women would have made just yeah. think Christ I don't know it's just <laughs> it's re- it's really disturbing like it, it really is I, isn't it? I, I yeah it's disturbing and I also feel like such deep sadness that so many generations of women had to live such um oppressed lives and were so limited and these brilliant capable humans were forced to do like one of three things either you were going to be a teacher or you were, you know, a, a a mother or a homemaker or that was it. And yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've definitely come a long way and, and, you know, I'm excited to see how much further we can go, but like, Mm -hmm. I'm just really grateful that I'm kind of living in the period of time that I'm living in right now. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I would not have made it. Oh dear. Yep. So you mentioned your daughter there briefly. I wanted to ask, um, as as a mum of two girls, is it important for you to sort of role model the fact that as a mum you can do anything you want, that you can, you can, yeah, the sky's the limit, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, that's always been incredibly important to me, and I think that the reason why it's it's so deeply um, embedded in me is because of my own mother and because of what my own mother has both gone through and accomplished in in her life. I mean, my mother, you talk about like what people were supposed to do at certain times, you know, um, you know, in history, my mother, when she went to school, went to high school was, was just such a, a strong and capable student. She loved, she loved school. She loved the whole learning process, but she came from a family that was a a very lower income family. Everybody worked and she wanted to go off to college. They couldn't afford college. So as soon as she graduated with honors from high school, she went to work with my grandmother. And so, you know, then my mother got married and and worked a part-time job at a nursing home. And my, all of, all of my experiences with, with, you know, when I think of strong women, 
it all traces back to what my mother did. My mother was became a widow when she was 40. She mm-hmm. had never had a college degree. She had to raise now a family by herself, a child by herself, live in a home by herself. And my mother went back to school six months after my father passed away, went back to college for five years at night, got her degree, worked, got a good job, um, you know, was the most present and hands-on parent. And it was because of that, like, I saw that. I saw that, you know, my mother and I used to do homework together in her bedroom at four and 5 a.m. in the morning, because that's the only time she could do it. She wanted to do it in a way that it wouldn't disrupt our dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that with her and it just, she and she alone was the one that, that proved to me that like the sky is the limit. You can do anything that you set your mind to that women are so resilient, humans are so resilient. And I always wanted my daughters to feel that way. So it's, you know, when I started getting opportunities to do the things that I really wanted to do, like I wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to write books. I, you know, I, I wanted to, to put myself out there. It was scary as hell because, you know, you put content out there on a regular basis and you know that not everybody receives what you put out there well. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, nope, gonna, gonna go, gonna go ahead and do it. And as a result, you know, my, I've, I've watched my daughters grow into their independence and want to just kind of like grab life by the throat and, and say, here I come. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's beautiful. Um, and it's, and it's necessary. And if it doesn't come from us, it's going to be a lot harder for them to be wired that way in their life. So mm, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When they see it from us and, and, and my husband too is, is, has always been so, is, you know, inspiring in that way, um, and supportive and, you know, has built us up and motivated us and encouraged us to, you know, and supported us to get out there and, and do all the things, um, you know, so having those positive influences really makes a, a huge impact. In mm. Yeah, that's it. Is it's like they if they grow up with that 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 positive messaging from the beginning, it's like that's they're going to take that through their lives and keep passing it on, and you know, it just keeps rolling on all that all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, something I've just started talking to mums about, I'm going to make it an official topic because I'm getting really interested in this lately. It's funny how like, like you were talking before, how, you know, you get led in certain ways and you do different things that you might not have been planning. Same happens yeah. with like the topics I talk about. They sort of evolve over time. And one thing that keeps coming up is this, um, the value, a big thing is through the pandemic when um, things got shut down, as particularly in Australia, you know, we had the the restriction on movements between our states, but um, our sports people, mainly sports men, were able to basically do whatever they liked. All the football and the soccer all continued, but mm. the arts and anything sort of creative, like performers, you know, the shows, all that sort of stuff, that all got shut down. And that sort of is, is sort of sparked a bit of a, a conversation or a thoughts around the value that we place on the arts. And then that sort of has snowballed into the value that we place on a mother that is a creator. Mm. You know, is it is it okay for her to do that? Because that's not her role. Uh, putting that in air quotes again. Yeah. You know, she's meant to raise children. So mm. how do we view the mother that is the creator? 
Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I've just sprung this one on you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like I like when people throw questions like that at me that I don't see coming. Um, you know, I, I think that it goes back to what we talked about a little while ago that we, we, and I say we in terms of women, mothers, have had to fight for our position. And, and it's been a very challenging fight. And, you know, I think by default, we, you know, when you, you think of parents, you naturally just automatically assume that the mother is going to be that prime caregiver and that that has to be kind of the ultimate responsibility that, you know, that overshadows any other thing that that woman may be that you know that she she may be a professional she may be an artist she may be a creator any of those things like we've got to shove all that aside for 18 or so years and we've got to focus on on you know the mom being the mom um i think i think it's trending back i don't know about what you're seeing in australia i mean now that we're i don't want to say that we're out of the pandemic because we are by no means out of it but um I think that, you know, I don't want to put it in these terms, but I think it is just, it's just by, in these terms by default, you talk about like, oh, well, it was okay for the footballers and the, the men to keep doing what they were doing. Well, they were making money. Mm-hmm. It was commercial. They yeah. were making money. And I'm not to say that artists, like I know that you're a singer and a songwriter and, you know, and, and um, those who are kind of deep within the arts aren't making money, but they sure as hell aren't making money on the same scale as, um, you know, professional teams and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that they just got a free pass. Yeah. Yeah. And we still had to stay kind of, you know, had to be kept in this role of, well, you guys have to be there to take care of everything else Mm -hmm. while, you know, while, while, you know, the money is being made and, um, you know, there, there's, you know, the, the energy surrounding this, these, these sports and, and, and what comes from them has to be supported. You guys have to do the rest because by virtue of, you know, parenting, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not a stretch to say that the majority of caregivers are moms, Mm. they are women, not that there aren't plenty of stay-at-home dads and, and caregivers who are dads, but that's our role. And we have to just keep kind of breaking out of that, Mm. that, that place of that identity. Mm. And, and I think it all goes, it it travels right back to the whole, you know, self-care and identity conversation that we had a few minutes ago, whereas that we can't tolerate that anymore. That's the thing. Mm. We have to say our art or our craft or our inspiration or our creativity is just as important and just as as necessary and we have to fight for it and it Mm -hmm. sucks that we have to do so much active promoting it and fighting for it but we do and we have to do that collectively and that's that's how we change that tide I think yeah so those are just you know kind of my initial thoughts about it yeah the thing that yeah the, the monetary thing is a big one isn't it because um we obviously live in a capitalist society, so money drives pretty much everything. And that's something that has really been annoying me lately too. It's like because, because what you're doing doesn't have a, a similar monetary value 
to what someone else is doing. It's just automatically not given the credit that mm-hmm. the other thing is given. Right. So that's something that annoys me as well. No, and 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 I think it it annoys me too. And and I'm glad that we're talking about it because it's by virtue of conversations like this, like whoever it is that's listening to us right now, if they share that feeling, well, then that's a, then, then then there's a, a domino effect there, mm-hmm. and then this conversation extends beyond you and I and extends beyond the podcast and then it gets other people talking and gets other people aware and and then there's then we have to kind of collectively not tolerate it mm. anymore yeah. we have to recognize it and then um start talking about it so that it can be addressed and and it can change mm. absolutely yeah and I think um an example that I, I always go to with this show whenever we start talking about value, monetary value, um, and how society generally judges creativity or the arts. Um, there was a, and I'm going to, I get this story wrong every time. I feel like I change it every time I tell it, but um, one of my guests gave me an example of how her and her sister-in-law both had young children that um, the grandma was going to be looking after while the mums were working. But the grandma would look after the sister-in-law's children because she was going to a proper job in a proper office. And I'm putting that in air quotes again. But she wouldn't look after the artist's children because she was just fluffing about. She wasn't actually working. And I'm putting that in air quotes again. And that's just, I mean, that's um, could be potentially a generational thing too. But Oh, sure. For sure it is. Yeah, it's just that kind of um, view of the arts and mothers creating mm. it just gives me the sheets it really yeah does. you know what it is I think it's not it's like it's there's a stigma about it that you're like taking your one in a million shot like if you think of of someone who's a singer songwriter you know you're doing that as a as a child or a young person you come home and tell your parents I'm not going to conventional following the conventional path and going to college I'm going to pursue my degree in acting or or my my acting um passion or my music passion or my songwriting passion whatever it is Mm -hmm. and I I think that because it there's such a minority of people who become successful on a level that people equate with success like you have to have like an album out to be successful you have to have a book out to be successful you you know what I mean um but there's so much there's so many different degrees of success within that um but I think that that it's it's based on well it's not really legitimate like you're just you know you're just writing you know some some fluffy little songs here or there or you're you know you're painting some pretty little pictures here and there that there's no real substance or value or or um monetary piece that you can attach so then it's 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 like it's illegitimized yeah yeah you know what I mean so I think that's where a good deal of the issues come from and you know you think of these proper tracks college leads to job leads to financial security well people are only now just recognizing that that is not the only way mm-hmm. that is not the only path that is not the only measure of success like that 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 dollar sign cannot 
cannot be attached to the word success anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it just reminded me of this conversation. My son, my eldest son's 14 and he's just having to start choose his subjects for next year's school. So this, you know, the pathway to whatever job he wants to do, they're starting the subjects now. And I keep my husband's a financial planner. So him and I are completely different brains, the way we think about things. And I keep saying to him, just do something that you enjoy doing, you know, find the thing you're passionate about, work out if there's a job around that, you know, if there's not one, make one, you know what I mean? Like find something that you love to do. And then my husband's like, oh, make sure you earn enough money, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Copping it from both sides. Yeah, that's, it's hard because I mean, look, we can't ignore the fact that bills have to be paid our 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 kids at some point down the line are going to have to be self-sufficient they're going to move out they're going to need to live on their own they're going to have to buy food and gas and 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 you know support all the things that you know are involved in living independently but it's like it's it just bums me out when we attach like well, you have to do, you have to have a six figure job to do that well, to, to mean that, that you are successful and it's, it's crap. And it's setting our kids up to be really disillusioned about doing what they really want. It's, you know, it's, it's setting them up to believe that they shouldn't do what they really want. They should do what they really have to do. Mm, and yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we do have to keep it real in the sense that our children do have to learn how to support themselves. But at the same time, too, we can't we can't make them believe that, you know, there's only one way to do that. And there's only one level at which they should aspire to do that. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And yeah. the other thing that I think is changing, we're talking about money and 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 things, um, there's the whole culture. I don't know. How, I certainly noticed over here, but it's changing now, but this culture on social media of this hustle and you've got to always be doing something. And, you know, I I can't think of any of like girl boss and all these sort of hashtags that it's like, you have to be driving really hard. And, and it's like, Oh, it's just, it's exhausting. Like you just think, when do you have time when like this self care, you know, actually resting rest is not a reward for doing rest is you know should be something that we do naturally because our bodies aren't supposed to go full bore all the time you know yeah. that culture around that I feel like is is definitely shifting which is really yeah. good it, it definitely is I mean you know there's definitely this population that believes especially these millennials who believe like you've got to have a, a, a hustle and you've got to also have a side hustle mm. and you've got to be in constant motion and you've got to be um, that much more driven and that much more successful and, and that much more capable. And, and I I think that's just coming from a place like in particular with women, it just comes from everything that you and I have already talked about in terms of like, we're kind of fighting for our position. We're fighting still to be taken seriously, to be viewed equally, to, be respected to you know and so it's it's almost like we just you know we we have to just go at it a lot harder to be taken even more seriously and that's unfortunate that we 
that we kind of innately feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's unfortunate. And I, I hope that as, as time goes on and we begin to kind of normalize success, uh, you know, you know, across, across the gender spectrum, like it's, it's, you know, be just as successful as a man or a woman, anything that's, you know, it's going to take time for, I think us to let go of that, that internal drive, um, because I think it's burning a lot of people out. It's oh, really yeah. burning a lot of people out, um, you know, and I think it's, it's causing people to be, um, you know, to put themselves in positions that they might not want to put themselves in because they, you know, or do things in terms of like jobs and opportunities just because they feel like they have to versus they want to. Mm. Yeah. So ho hopefully those two scales will eventually balance. Mm. Yeah, compelled to hustle the way we do. Oh yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's like it's funny, like all this this stuff that is ingrained in us as as kids and growing up. Like you always had, like college, like we we call it university over here, but it, it doesn't have the same. I don't think it has the same sort of end goal. Like for you guys, like every I'm making an assumption, but on TV shows and movies, it's like everyone goes to college. Um, over here uni's not we don't all go to uni it's like yeah. if you get a job out of school that's almost the best thing you can do um, but I remember like like my dad worked really long hours you know I think a lot of us grew up with that that nine to five or you know eight to six sort of culture around you your parents or your your dad working and it's like that's what you're supposed to do you know and then all of a sudden you go well, actually, I don't really like this. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like you start to, I don't know, question stuff and see what people around you are doing. I remember the first time I realised that I had a friend who was only working part-time and, that, like, this was when I was, you know, just out of school working. I was like, how can you do that? Aren't you supposed to be working full-time? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, it was a foreign concept from what I'd grown up with. So, you know, again, these little changes and... Yeah. Well, it's like the whole millennial mindset now. And I talk about this a lot with my older daughter in particular, because even though there, there's only three years in between yeah. our girls, it was a, it's a big enough gap that my oldest's mindset about certain things is, is quite different than my youngest's. And, and they're, they're both very, very hard workers. Um, you know, my, my oldest is in graduate school right now to be a teacher and she's also working full-time and my youngest works full-time in, in the school system but it, it's funny like you look at the millennial the millennial uh, mind nowadays and they're all like I don't want to be in a, I'm not going to be in an office I'm not I'm not going to take that job that I'm applying for if it means I actually have to go into an office or if it means I have to travel they're like no 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 I'm I'm really focused on my work-life balance right now like that whole generation <laughs> is not having it at yeah. all and I think too that you know and, and this goes back to one of the like if you have to attach a silver lining to what, what's happened pandemic wise mm. it's allowed us to do so many things from home that we otherwise just th that weren't allowed before mm. yeah. and so it's brought the world much closer it's made everyone and everything much more accessible is the upside and 
you know, I, I, I just look at the way that my children are now and all of these millennials are like, yeah, um, so I've been working from home for like the last 18 months and I'm really not planning on continuing my company if my company is not going to allow us to do that. You know, it's just so yeah. funny, yeah. Um, you know, and, and now they're all like converting vans and living van life and working yeah. remotely from like deserts and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, beaches. And, and I absolutely know that if I had been born now, if I was my 25 year old's age, I would 1000% be, be working remotely. I would have like a, a Ford van that was converted and I would be like on the coast of Australia somewhere, probably like down the road from you. And I'd be take home to you. Yeah, from a van. And you know, and and they're they're not settling for that. So they things, so I guess the reason why I'm saying all that about my own kids is because it's just proof that that that, that tide is changing. Yeah. That they're prioritizing their worth and they're prioritizing that that work-life balance and that self-care mm. a lot more in this generation yeah and they're not tolerating the idea of the whole like nine to five and the way that it used to be mm. which is yeah, good it's so, it is so good it's wonderful yeah that that's interesting about during the pandemic like all this stuff that people would say oh that's never possible you can't do this and you can't do that and it's like um actually you can and yeah. it's wonderful yeah. yeah um you know, and oh, I don't know, we learned a lot. I mean, it was a horrible, it still is a horrible thing that, you know, a lot of families have, and people have gone through, which is, has been really not very nice. But there has been some positives come out for, for, for the whole of humanity, I think, looking at things differently and challenging. Prioritizing. Yeah, and it's that old saying like, you know, why do we do it this way? Because we've always done it that way, you know, that, that, and I think that's a real sort of, I don't know, almost a masculine mindset. I don't want to say that. It sounds nasty, but no, it reminds me of something my dad would say. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I understand why you would, would say that. It, it's, it's just because historically that has been the mindset. That's the way things were for mm -hmm. generations. You know, and you think of the hierarchy, who it was that instituted those ideas and those values, and you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. You, know? yeah. you don't want to blame all the boys, but we're <laughs> finger pointing at you guys because <laughs> you know, the men of history. Oh, yeah. Have you got anything you want to share um, that you're working on at the moment or future projects coming up? Anything you want to give a shout out to and share um, where people can find you online and that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, I think I, I mentioned um, a little earlier that one of the things that's got a lot of my focus right now is uh, mental health and suicide prevention and awareness. And that, that actually slides right into the project that I'm working on right now, which is um, another book that really uses my father's story, the story of my, my father's suicide, mm -hmm. as just a vehicle for starting conversations and for 
helping people just through my own personal experience, helping people kind of travel that, that road to forgiveness if they're a survivor of suicide loss. And so that's, that's something that I'm kind of deep in the weeds with right now, um, doing a, a ton of work on, um, and then working to be a crisis counselor with a crisis agency here in, um, in the United States um, that I'm actually very, very excited about because that kind of all goes hand in hand. So I'm working on that um, and just continuing to, to do lots of um, speaking and writing about parenting, just the, the way that I'm doing now on all the outlets here in, in the States and around, you yeah. know, around the world that, um, that help families be happy. So that's what I'm working on. And you can find me anywhere. I mean, you can find me, um, my website is lisasugarman.com and everything I'm working on is kind of in that one spot. Um, mm -hmm. Instagram is Lisa underscore Sugarman, the Lisa Sugarman on Facebook. You can join the vomit booth. If you search the vomit booth on <laughs> Facebook, you can, I will, I will let you in <laughs> and you can just hurl it all up. So oh that's yeah. so good I'm definitely yeah. going to check that out I'm really yeah, please, I'm really interested please. in that that sounds really good I want all of your moms in your in your community in your area in your part of the world I want to know what's you know what's affecting you and and um, bring them all it's, it's like a clown <laughs> car you can, <laughs> we can just pile millions of moms and dads uh, in there so yeah I love it I love it oh thank you so much for coming on Lisa I've really enjoyed chatting with you it's been a really great conversation today. Oh, thank you. I, I've loved, I've loved every minute of it too. And um, it's so fun for me to uh, just to, especially to hear what's going on in, in places where I, you know, I, I don't, I don't frequent, I don't, I know, know what, you know, what's happening in, in your part of the world, the way you do. And so it's, it's often fun to find out, um, you know, that some things are different and some things are similar. And, and at the end of the day, like we still, it proves my point that um, no matter where you are and what you're doing as a mom, it's like, we're, you know, we're all part of the same community and the same family here and we're all dealing with the same stuff. So it's, it's fun to be able to come together and share that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for sharing so openly and honestly, I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners will appreciate it too. So yeah, thanks so much. Oh, it's my <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.